Praise God. Praise God. Well, I am so happy for these two individuals that are here today. They have truly are a true blessing to this church and to, to Pastor Diane, Pastor Francis, and myself. And they were, they were, they were a true a, um, a blessing to Bishop when, when, they, when they met him. And, and, and I couldn't ask for a better person, better man of God, anointed of God. I mean, he is getting ready to bring you some truth that's going to, it's going to bless you. Without further ado, let's welcome Dr. Landsman and his beautiful wife, Mark. Thank you. Praise the Lord. It, it is uh, great to be back with you. Um, it's fine. And uh, this time I got to bring my beautiful bride, Martha. Huh? My grandma bride, yeah. <laughs> we don't have any great-grandkids yet, but, you know, our, our oldest granddaughter just turned 21. She graduated from university, and she's now got a, 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 good, a good boyfriend. Uh, my daughter said, you know, it's really great. The individual has a, a master's degree, and he's working well and now getting involved in their church. And my my uh, oldest granddaughter is their part-time youth pastor, you know, and uh, we're, we're just thrilled. Uh, but we're just thrilled to be here. Um, Y'all go ahead and sit down for just a minute. I, you know, I want to share a few things and then we'll get into the Word of God. Because I, I believe that, that I'm here on a divine assignment, a divine appointment. And, and um, you know, when we heard that the bishop had gone home to be with the Lord, the first thing we did is uh, go ahead, went ahead and called Pastor Thad and said, look, you know, if there's anything we can do, please let us know. And plus, let us know when, when the, the, uh, the homegoing service is, we're going to be here. We want to be down and determined to, to come down and do that. And, and so, I mean, that, that was just everything. And then God began to deal with me, and he said, said uh, I've got something that I want you to share. They're going to invite you to speak. And I thought, uh-huh, sure. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the last time something like that happened, uh, I was shaving in, in our, when we lived in Oklahoma, and... Uh, we had just been thinking about a church in England that we knew, and, and in the middle of shaving, the Spirit of God said, uh, the pastor's going to call you, he's going to ask you to come and um, take his church for a week while they go on vacation, uh, tell him yes, and it was going to be during Christmas. And, uh, you know, so um, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, right, sure, that, that, that's God, and so, uh, you know, I hadn't even finished shaving, and Martha says, honey, you've got a phone call. And it, it's uh, Pastor Michael Bassett from England. And so, uh, you know, he's going through this big thing and trying to explain to me, you know, I know it's late and it's the holidays and try, trying to convince me, you know. And I said, yes, I'll come. He said, I haven't even asked you yet. I said, I know, but I was shaving the Spirit of God said you're going to and to tell you yes, you know. And so uh, uh, we went and had, had, had a great time and, and God had given us some revelation during that, that ministry it wound up producing a, a book that we had written on called Doubling Your Ability Through God, dealing with Matthew, the principle in Matthew 25. And so then here, you know, when the Spirit of God said that they're going to ask you to speak, I thought, you know, I, I just put that on the shelf. And then, you know, we talked to pastor, said, yeah, we're coming down. Uh, can you tell us the name of a hotel that's close? You know, you can't get much closer than where we're at, you know. Uh, and he said, sure. And he said, 
I said, because, you know, we're going to come down on Saturday. We're going to come down. We're going to, we're, we're, we're going to you know, be in, at the, uh, the service. And then uh, we'll, we'll spend the night, and then we'll, then we'll slip it, sit in the back, you know, and then slip out and go home afterwards on Sunday morning. He said, no, no, no. He said, uh, if you're going to come, would you please speak? And I thought, okay, that was God. So I, I know that I'm here by a divine appointment and a divine assignment. The other aspect of this, what I'm going to, to share with you this morning, the genesis of it, the beginning of it, uh, you know, of this message started here uh, with you at ALM. It was on your, your 40th anniversary. And Martha and I were sitting, I think, in the second or third row. And we were here for the service and we were excited. And, 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 and the bishop was talking about what had happened you know, for in 40 years, but now it's time to go into the promised land. And, and God began to give me some things, and, and uh, I'm going to share those things with you. But then afterwards, we were back in the office and having some coffee and talking, and the bishop walks in and, and said, well, you know, you haven't been here and ministered in a, a long time. I said, yeah. He said, well, you know, um, you know, when you put out your new book, now he had no idea that during the service, God would talk to me about doing a book because I was going to re-put out some of my older books. But then God began to give me some things during the service. And he says, you know, when you put out your new book, you know. And so the genesis of that it came from, from this. And so uh, uh, it, it's exciting to be able to, to share this with you. Um, and again, when we met Pastor Thad and Francis, you know, it was love at first sight, you know. Uh, and we, we just felt the kindred spirit and, and just, just so wonderful. And so we'd come down with two years ago, I guess, to do a leadership training. And then we, we got down and we saw uh, uh, Bishop Thomas and, and Pastor Diane. And, and uh, Bishop said, you probably don't remember me, but back in the, 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 the 80s and the days with FCF and ICFCM, and then all of a sudden, bam, oh, yeah. So, you know, a double blessing, you know. Uh, so we're, we're just glad to be here. Um, you know, I, I, I've got about seven different ways that I could go on this message this morning. Um, and uh, I, I'm, I'm, you know, just waiting to find out, God, what is the direction? You know, I, I sent uh, Pastor Thad some of my notes you know, um, but, you know, it, it, I, I probably have rewritten this message four times in the last five or six days. You know, the, the, the last time was, was last night, you know, uh, or early this morning, you know, but, 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 but I like that. I, I hope you don't mind, but I like that. I, I, I like being able to follow after the Holy Ghost. What is it that God is saying? What is the word for us now? Not what it was a few weeks ago. What is the word of God saying to us now? And so uh, I'm going to ask you, just stretch your hands towards me and believe God with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, I believe that my tongue will be as that pen of a ready writer. Father, I put on the mantle. I step into the office that you've called me to. And Father, I thank you that I will speak as the oracles of God. Lord, I will say those things that are beneficial and necessary for these, your people, this day in Jesus' name. And Father, not only will we have ears to hear and eyes to see, but we'll determine in our hearts to do that which you reveal to us in Jesus' name. And everybody in agreement said, Amen. Amen. Praise God.
Well, it, like I said, it's great to be here. Um, you know, I, I, I'm used to a boisterous church. And so when people say amen, hallelujah, the, the louder you, you, you respond, the shorter my message. <laughs> the quieter you are, the longer I'll speak. So now everybody said... Oh, I'm going to get to be able to go a long time. Let me tell you. And everybody said, yeah. "Well, in conclusion, no." <laughs> um, our our key that scripture that we're going to go from uh, this morning is in Hebrews chapter ten, verse nine. Hebrews ten nine, and I believe it's a now word for us. I, I just have a couple questions for you. Have you ever found yourself in a place where the things that you used to do that always worked are no longer working? Could anybody besides me identify with that? You know, you, you do this and you do this, and you, I mean, and it's been consistent and it always worked, and then you do it and it's not working anymore. And then you continue to do it and it's not working. And the first thing you do is say, oh God, where did I miss it? You begin to look at yourself, where did I miss it? And, and, and God's silent because you didn't miss it. And he keeps saying, I don't understand this. Why is this no longer working? Why am I at a place of frustration? Of course, I know none of you have ever gotten to a place of frustration. And, you know, um, if, if you haven't, then, then this message isn't for you. But if you have, then, then this will help you. you. You get to a place of frustration. Uh, and, and you say, what's the point of this? It used to work, but I'm doing it. It doesn't work now. Why isn't it working? What is wrong? God, what is wrong? And, and, and the heavens seem to be silent. But it doesn't stop there. Not only do the heavens seem to be silent, all of a sudden, things that you were doing begin to, begin, begin to be taken away from you. Hello. Now, I'm, I'm preaching better than you're responding. Come on. Um, you know, maybe I'm the only one that, that, that's ever had to deal with this. Maybe I'm the only one that, that has gotten to a place where saying, God, you know, um, we've been doing this. It's been working. And, and now all of a sudden, that which it's not working like it used to. And not only that, now they're taking it away from me. And you're frustrated and saying, you know, why? God, you know, of course, now you forget that you were saying, God, change me. Lord, change me. I want to be conformed to your image. God, change me. Change me. Transform me. And God takes you your word and says, okay, I'm going to change you. I'm going to transform you. Wonderful. And he said, oh, thank you, Jesus. You've got something good for me. You've got something bigger for me. You've got something better for me. And God said, yes, it's bigger. It's better. It's new. Never, ever was. <laughs> I grabbed that from the bishop, I'll tell you. It's new. Never, ever was. The problem is with us when something is new, while we say we want to be transformed, it's something that is new, but we don't want to do the new because we're so familiar with the old. And doing the new means that I've got to change. That means I've got to make some changes. That means that maybe that which I used to do, I can no longer do. That is a place of transition, and that is a place where you are no longer comfortable. 
because you said, you say, God, you know, I've, I've done this and I've done this and I've done it this way and I've done it this way and now it's not working something else. You know, not only is it not working, the things I've been doing, you're taking away. But you said, God, I want to be transformed. I want to be changed. And so God is saying, I'm taking your word. I'm, I'm, I'm changing you. I'm transforming you. I'm bringing in, you into that which I have for you, but I can't do it with you holding on to the old. You, if you don't get anything else out of this morning, mark this down. You cannot go into the old, go into the new holding on to the old. Amen. Are you with me? You cannot go into the new holding on to the old. That does not mean the old, that which is the former things, does not mean that that was bad. That was a foundation to bring you to where you are. You needed the foundation. It brought you to where you are. But you're where you are so you can go to your future. And in order to go to your future, you've got to leave your past. Your destiny outweighs your desire to get there. Your destiny outweighs your desire to get there. Our brother from Panama, I heard him yesterday talk about, you know, how he moved and how God dealt with him and brought him down to Panama. I'm sure he never thought about going to Panama. You know, as he said yesterday, you know, the bishop called he and his wife into the office and said, well, are you ready to go be missionaries? That's probably the last thing he was even thinking about, being a missionary. But being a missionary means that you had to leave where you are and get up and move. And as we grow with God, as we walk with God, as God begins to bring us into new realms, it causes us to go through a time of transition, a time of unease, and it causes us to make a change. I'll never forget, we were in our early 50s. And God dealt with my wife and I about moving to South Africa, to the nation of South Africa. Um, all my ministry friends said, wait a minute. You know, you, 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 another 10, 12 years and you can retire. You don't want to go to South Africa. You don't want to go to a foreign country at your age. You've got to leave all of your ministerial contacts behind. All of your friends behind. You're going to a place that, of, of unknown. And... and um, you know, we went and there were certain promises that were given to us that were never kept when we got there. But we knew that God said, go. I had a very, very prominent minister, good friend of ours, um, because we had been told certain things and, and about a month, less than a month before we, we were ready to move, uh, the place that was asking us to come uh, reneged on a lot of what they said. So I called this pastor friend of mine and said, oh, it's not God. God doesn't want you to go. Uh, you know, I'm, uh, you, if you come, I'm going to ask you to do this and this, and, and you can do this and this. And it sounded so good. And, and, and I said, well, I'm going to go pray. So I told my wife, I said, um, I'm, I'm getting a hotel room. We were living in Orlando at the time. I'm gonna, we're going to get a hotel room. Uh, I'm going to get a hotel room. I'm going to spend three days in fasting and prayer and, and find out what God says. 
You know, and I fully intended to have three days of fasting and prayer. It took less than, than five or six hours. I'm praying, having a great time, and the Spirit of God dealt with me on certain things that we were definitely supposed to go. So that, that great, wonderful, we're, we're going to go. That, that's it. Regardless, we're going to go. We paid our own way, sold our house, had the profit, profit of our house to be able to support ourselves while we were over there the first year in South Africa. Wonderful. Is that what I wanted? No. But we had learned on all the steps that God had brought us through just to act in obedience and watch what God would do. And, and so uh, then I called this minister friend of mine back and said, you know, thank you for your offer. It's generous. We appreciate what you guys are doing. But God has said, we've got to go, so we're going. And he said, okay, thank you. Click, the phone hung up. And we got no support, not, not, not even, not talking about financial, no prayer support, no encouragement from them. It was, okay, you don't want to do what we want you to do. Goodbye. Go do your thing. Uh, that can't be God. You're, you're, you're destroying your life in ministry. And um, so it, it was, we, we went, and then, then uh, we were there for 11 years. And I, we were so blessed in the, those 11 years. God financially took care of us better than, than, than we had had in the U.S. To the point where we were able to support our uh, daughter and son-in-law uh, to the tune of $1,000 a month. Just out of the surplus that God had given to us. I mean, and, you know, I, I believe in planting seed. Seed is the only way to get your harvest. It's the only way to, to do things. But... You know, we, we were so blessed. But I came back about a year, year and a half later, and I, it, this, this pastor was having a conference, and I was there, and uh, he had a ministerial fellowship, and we're talking, and he's talking to things, and he said, you know, he said, if we had this fellowship going the way it could, you know, uh, we, we could have been supporting Brother Mike and Sister Martha for the, that first year, the hard times they were having. I thought, I wanted to get up and say, you liar. But, you know, you, you can't say that, you know. I said, oh, thank you so much, you know. You didn't want to have anything to do with us until we begin, begin to have success. Are you with me? Is this helping you? You know, if it doesn't help you, then blame God because, because I'm going the way that, that God's directing me. Let me read you the scripture, though, Hebrews 10, verse 9. Hebrews 10, verse 9, I want you to see that we're, what we're talking to you about is based upon the Word of God. Hebrews 10, 9 says, Then he said, Lo, I come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. He takes away the first, that he may be able to establish the second. Now, we know the Apostle Paul talking about the difference between following the law and following grace being saved. The fact that, that not following external dictates, but following the, the internal, the, having a new heart, the Word of God written on our hearts. But, but the principle is there, that He takes away in order to establish. In our minds, in our way of thinking, we want it to be established, and then we can get rid of the other. Establish the new, and then I'll get rid of the old. And God says, no, it doesn't work that way. God says the way it works is you get rid of the old. He takes away the old in order to establish the new. 
Now, some of you are looking at me like, you know, where, where are you coming from? Well, I, I'm glad you're looking at me that way. And, and uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm jumping all over the place. But, but in the book of Genesis, there's something that, that I found out about God. We, as individuals, we start, our day begins in the morning, correct? And it ends in the evening. So for us, it's morning and evening. And that's the day. It's morning, then it's evening, then that's the day. God doesn't do that. God does exactly the opposite. He starts with the evening, and then it comes to the morning. Now, I was born and raised in a Jewish home, and and, and being Jewish, you know, uh, we understood the, 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 the holidays and the feasts and everything. And, and I always wondered, why did we start like Passover? Why did it start at sundown? Sunday is like, would start on uh, sundown on a, a Friday night. Why is it starting at sundown on a Friday night and then going into Saturday morning? Why don't we just start on Saturday morning? But every, it started in the evening. It started in the evening. It started in the evening. And, and you know, I, I'd look at that, just didn't understand it until, until after I got saved, then I began to see this. And, you know, again, you guys are going to, please have to forgive me. If, if, if there is a little bit of an edge to what I'm saying, uh, sometimes I've, I've been a little bit radical. I, I, I go against the grain. For some reason, I just can't follow the way everybody else goes. I mean, if, if they're following God, I'll follow them, but, but, but I've got to follow what God says to me. And I've got to do what God says to me. In, in fact, uh, my pastor, uh, uh, Dr. Rodney Howard Brown, says this. He said, only, you, you know, um, I'm going to do what God says do. I'm going to say what God says, say, says to say. I'm going to do nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else. Nothing more than what God says, nothing less than what God says, and nothing else than what God says. And if God's not saying it, I ain't doing it. And you can tell me what's well, going to hurt your reputation. And, and you know, we, we get, when we got to South Africa, uh, we used to be, you know, the flavor of the month when we'd go and speak at conferences. When we moved there, nobody wanted to have me preach in their churches. Because now I'm not from America, I'm from South Africa, and, you know, maybe, maybe you'll steal our church. Right, yeah, uh-huh, sure. And th- then the worst part is I come back to the States, and, and, you know, after we've been there 11 years, we're getting a hold of some of our, our, our ministry contacts, and they said, oh, are you still alive? We thought you were dead. You, you, you're still alive. Yeah. Oh, Yeah. Wonderful. Great. Appreciate you. You know, and, but, but, you know, God, it, it, the way he does things. And, and so God starts with evening. In Genesis 1-5, uh, it, it says it was evening and morning. I'm, I'm just going to give you these scriptures, write them down. Genesis 1-5, Genesis 1-8, Genesis 1-13, Genesis 1-19, Genesis 1.22, Genesis 1.31, and Genesis 2, uh, verses 1 to 3. I'll say them again, because I know you didn't have enough time to write them all down. Genesis 1.5, Genesis 1.8, Genesis 1.13, 
Genesis 1.19, Genesis 1.22, Genesis 1.31, and Genesis 2, verses 1 to 3. And all these things, God starts with the evening and then goes to the morning. He said in Genesis 1.5, it was evening and morning, and it was the first day. That was where the earth was without form and void. There was nothing, nothing was there. Darkness was upon the face of the deep, and God said, and the earth was formed. From without form to being with form. On day two, he divides the heavens. On day three, he divides the dry land from the waters. On day four, he creates the sun, moon, and stars in the heavens. On day five, he, brings, he, he creates life in the waters, tells the waters to bring forth life. On day six, he creates living creatures and man. And on day seven, he rested. But it starts with the evening. The earth was up without form and void. There was nothing there. And then it was there. That which was became in, came into being was made out of that which was not. And that's how God works. He goes from the evening, where it looks like, oh my goodness, every, everything is, is gone. Um, it, it's, why isn't this working? And because God's saying, there's something new that I want you to do. Something you haven't done before. You have the foundation that has brought you to this place. You've been crying to me, change me. And then, we, then when God says, okay, I'm going to change you to conform you into my image. And let me tell you this. All the, the changing and all the transformation that goes on is to transform us into the image of God. And you'll finally be finished with transition when you make that final transition. Either the rapture or we be, go, go home to be with the Lord when this mortal puts on immortality. So if you're looking for a way to get out of changing, you're in the wrong place. You're going to have to change. But change is uncomfortable because I know how to do this, but I don't know how to do the, the, the new. I have gotten to a place where I can do the old in my sleep with my eyes closed. We used to, um, every time in, when we were in New Jersey on staff at a church in New Jersey, uh, for 10 years, we had uh, an international conference every year, and we used to make sure that all the, the, the uh, international pastors got picked up and speakers. But some of the guest speakers that came in were friends of mine, so I'd make sure that I would go to pick them up, and they'd all fly into JFK. I got to a place where I could close my eyes and get in my car and drive to JFK. You know, it, it, it wasn't easy, but I had done it so many times that, you know, you know, I'm comfortable with it. We get to a place where we're in a comfort zone. We can, we can do it. And, and, and that becomes a problem because then we can do it. And when we can do it, we don't depend upon him to do it. Are, are you with me? When we, we get to a place where we can do it, if you can do what God's calling you to do, the new thing that God has for you, if you can do it in yourself, it's not God. That's right. If you figure out, I can do this by doing this, 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 and this, 
God says, okay, I'll sit back. I'll watch. I'll let you try. And then when you get finished and you make a mess of it, then, then I'll come in and do it. You say, well, I don't believe that. Well, there was a man by the name of Moses. And Israel had been in bondage now in Egypt for 430 years. And they'd been crying out. You see this in, in, in Exodus 2 and Exodus 3. Uh, just for, for scriptural references, I don't want to go there and spend the time. It'll, it'll, it'll all be in the book when the book comes out. And, and, and Bishop got to see a little bit of, of where we were going on that because I, I, I sent that to him and he said, mm-hmm, okay. So I knew I'm on, on the right track. Um, but, you know, they're saying, deliver us, deliver us, deliver us, crying out to God for deliverance. And God sends Moses. Moses is born. Moses is born with a sense of destiny. He was a son in Pharaoh's household. He was raised with all the wisdom of Egypt. He was a prince. He was, had power. When he would speak, people would respond because if they didn't, he'd tell his dad and that's the end of them. But he had a sense that he was to, special, that he was the deliverer of the nation of Israel. So he goes out. He's 40 years of age. He goes out and he sees an Egyptian overseer striving with an Israelite. He looks this way. He looks that way. Nobody's watching. And he kills the Egyptian overseer. Buries him in the sand. Comes back the next day and two Israelites are fighting with each other and he separates them and they turn on him. And they said, who made you a judge, a prince over us? Who do you think you are? I'm the one that's sent to deliver you. Don't you know? I'm the man of God with the call of God. The only problem, he was the man of God with the call of God, with the mandate, but he tried to do it with his own strength and his own power. In Exodus 7.23, just mark this out, in Exodus 7.23, he, he's, Moses is at a quandary. He thought that the people would understand that by his hands, deliverance was going to come. He thought that everybody was going to rise up in rebellion and insurrection against Pharaoh and follow him. You can be the man or woman of God with the call of God, with the anointing of God, but if you try to establish it in your own strength and try to bring rebellion and insurrection, it'll fall flat. We lived in Tulsa for a number of years, and, and we, we'd drive to our, our, our offices on the, the north side of town. And you'd go down this one street, and on one street was New Faith Baptist Church, and on the other side of the street was Greater Faith Baptist Church. <laughs> one was an offshoot of the other. The associate got mad and took, split the congregation and went right across the street. And so, you know, it, it's the same people, but, you know, Nothing ever happened with those two churches. You can, you can be called and anointed. But if you try to do it, you're going to fall flat on your face. And Moses tried to do it. 
And then, so, so when the, the people did not join him, Moses said, uh-oh, Pharaoh now knows this, and he ran. It's not like the movie The Ten Commandments. Uh, they didn't give him a, a, a rod with two bags of water and send him out. No, uh, when he found out what they said, he knew, Pharaoh knew, and he, he got out of there. He went to the backside of the desert. Now, I'm preaching better than you're responding. So uh, that means we've got all morning. That, that's good. I, you know, I'm, I'm enjoying myself. Now, 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 the interesting thing about this, I don't know how many of you have heard messages on the backside of the desert. And, and, and normally when you hear a message on the backside of the desert, that's a place where it's dry. There's nothing there. You barely make it because it's the backside of the desert. My brother and sister, it's the backside. It's not the desert. It's the backside. Have you ever seen a desert? Normally a desert is a plain that's surrounded by mountains. And what happens is when moisture-bearing clouds come, they hit the mountains and they drop all their moisture, their water, there on the backside of the mountains, the backside of the desert. The backside of the desert is a place where there's full provision. It's just not the promised land. So Moses, for the next 40 years, is living in a place of full provision. But everything about where he's living is screaming that he's a failure. He was a prince. He lived in, in a palace. Uh, he should have he been eating princely food. He, he should have been married to a princess. So instead, he's a shepherd, shepherd uh, shepherding somebody else's sheep. Married to a shepherd's daughter, living in a tent. So every morning he wakes up and he looks at his wife. Now, now he loved his wife and she was beautiful, but he looked at his wife and it said, failure. He looked at his, his, where he's living, failure. What he was doing, failure. So much so that for 40 years he tended his father-in-law's flock. He never had his own flock. He lost all desire to succeed. And after 40 years, God shows up. And when God shows up in the burning bush, Moses meets with him. And God said, I've seen, I've heard, and I know the cry of my people and, and, and what, what they've been under. This is in Exodus 3. And then God makes a statement to Moses. He said, come now, therefore, I send you that you might bring my people people, the children of Israel, out of bondage. And so Moses said, yes, amen, I've been waiting all these 40 years for that, right? No. Moses said, but God, who am I? He said, who am I that I should go and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? He was living in the past. He's saying, God, I tried that and it didn't work. I thought that's what you had for me. I tried it. It didn't work. Now you're telling me to go? <laughs> Ain't no way. And so he said to God, who am I that I should go? And that I, notice the emphasis there, 
I should go and I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt. God responds beautifully. The way God responded to that is, surely I will be with you. How did God respond to the the question of who am I? He completely ignored it. Because what God was going to do was not dependent upon who Moses was. It was dependent upon whose he was. Brought him to the end of himself and realized, I can't do it. And then God said, okay, you tried it, it didn't work. You spent 40 years, uh, you know, just cooling your heels. I've taken care of you. You've not been without but now you're going to have to go. And I'm going to be with you. And it's going to be different than it was. You're going in a different way. You're going to go in my power, and I'm going to give you signs and wonders to perform that is going to to solidify the fact that I've sent you. And so Moses, okay, Reluctantly goes. But, you know, Moses, it's, it's so interesting. You know, I, I, sometimes I, I get on, on side trails with things like this. But, but Mo, Moses said, okay. Uh, and, 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 you know, he, he said, well, God, who are you? God said, I am that I am. And, and then he said, well, th- then he said, you know, they won't believe me. And, and he gives them the signs. And, and then finally Moses said, send by the hand of him whom thou would send. In other words, Moses was saying, get somebody else. So God said, "Uh uh-uh, you ain't getting out of it. You're going to have to go. You're going to have to do this. But not only are you going to have to go and are you going to have to do this, he said, I'm going to give you the preacher's curse or kiss of death, as it were. He said, I will tell you what to say, but I'm going to give you your brother, and you tell your brother and he gets to speak it. As a preacher, the worst thing I could imagine is God giving me a revelation and then not letting me share it. I've got to give it to someone else and they've got to get up and share it. And I know God gave it to me and I'm... So I've learned I'm not going to say send somebody else. Because if I say send somebody else, God's just liable to do that. No, thank you. You know, um, I'm too pragmatic for that. I, I, I don't want to miss out. So Moses goes, and, and uh, you, you know the story, and he, he, he goes to Pharaoh. And an interesting thing about this, when I, when I was reading on this, you know, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Can I give you a definition of the word harden? The word harden means an intensification of a condition that is already present. An intensification of a condition that is already present. The condition is present, it's just being intensified. Are you with me? Okay, so God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Intensified a condition that was already present. How did God harden his heart? How did God harden his heart? He sent his word. The same word that when it hits a soft and pliable heart brings deliverance and life and power is the same word that will bring death and destruction if you reject it. The way 
God sent his word. And when the word came, Pharaoh rejected that intensified it. It built up the hardness in that heart. And one of the things, the reason God said that, he said it was going to harden his heart because Pharaoh had gotten to the place where he thought everything that he had done, everything that was in the kingdom was his and it wasn't God's. And God said, I set Pharaoh up to show my glory. And now he forgotten me and my people and trying to claim that he can do it. We'll, we'll let him see he can't do it. And then the ten plagues that came upon the Egyptians. The interesting thing about those plagues, if you do some study, it, it, each one was against a different god of Egypt. And not only was Egypt being judged, but their gods were being judged. All right? But with... Now, remember, Israel said, deliver us. For 430 years, they're crying out for deliverance. God said, okay, enough is enough. I'm going to deliver you. Not only am I going to deliver you, I'm going to bring you into a land that that flows with milk and honey. You're going to eat the crops that you haven't planted. You're going to live in houses you didn't build. And when you go out, you're going to go out healed, and you'll go out with all the wealth of Egypt. And he proved it by the ten plagues. Now, now, Moses goes to Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, oh, okay. So um, they've got too much leisure time on their hands. So we're going to make the, the condition harder. The, the, the overseers used to give you straw to make bricks. But you're going to have to go get your own straw to make the bricks. But we're not going to decrease the quota. The quota will increase, but it make it harder on you. So... God, deliver us. God, deliver us. God, deliver us. God said, okay. And the first thing that happens, it becomes harder. We're moving into a new area. God, you're changing. Wonderful. Hallelujah. And then it gets harder. So what did the the children of Israel do? They, They complained to Moses. Leave us alone. After... All the plagues are finished. They, they, they come out. And the first place that, that Moses took them to was the, the Red Sea. He took them to the beach. They've never had a vacation. And they, they've come out with, with all the gold and the silver and the, and the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And he brings them to the shore. Now, if you, if you lived in New York or New Jersey, when you say the shore, everybody knows that's the beach. Man, he brings them to the shore, the banks of the Red Sea. Oh, hallelujah, we're on vacation. This is wonderful. Look at where we're at. And then somebody turns around and looks back. There's always somebody that looks back. Because we're stepping into something new that requires... People to change, to adapt. And we are people that respond in, to fear rather than faith. And the new is fearful because we've never been there before. It takes us out of our comfort zone. And I, I like my comfort zone. We've done it this way in the past. Why can't we still do it the same way? Because it's new. And because you can do it. 
you don't have to depend upon God. And how many churches there are in America and around the world that have gone from the, the fire of revival, the fire of God, into traditional things? Are, are you still with me? I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, trying to get someplace, and it, 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 it's, it, it's hard to get there. Um, but, you know, we like traditions. Like I said, I was raised in a Jewish home. I love lots and bagels with, 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 with a, a slice of tomato and a red onion. And that is my, my family's traditional Christmas morning breakfast. And it's a tradition. I mean, I grew up with that, so that's a tradition. I love that tradition. We keep that tradition, but that tradition doesn't violate the Word of God. And if you look at most traditions, when they start, there is a reason behind them. How many of you have ever been in a church that has the Apostles' Creed? Anybody? And, and they, they read the Apostles' Creed, and, and it becomes something that you do ritualistically every service because it's what, you know, great, it's wonderful. It's a beautiful confession of faith. But nobody's looked at why it started. It started because the people were illiterate. They couldn't read, so the, 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 the priests went ahead and gave them what they believed, what their doctrine was, what their, in a confession, and they memorized the confession, and so they would be confessing what they believed. But it became a tradition, and people became literate. They could read, um, but it's still there. And they do it. They don't know why they're doing it. It's just, it's just the, the, we, the, we've always done it that way. It's great, but when it go, begins to violate the Word of God, when your traditions violate the Word of God, in, in Mark 7, uh, Jesus' disciples are, are rebuked because they're eating food without washing their hands. Now, he, he was talking about ceremonial washings, not, not, not for hygiene. Uh, th th you would have a big bowl, a laver, and, and you would have to take both of your hands and put it into the, the water, up to your elbows, and then take it off, and the water had to run down your arms and off your elbows to the ground. That was a ceremonial washing. It had nothing to do with cleaning your hands. It was a ceremonial washing. And so they're rebuking the disciples because they're not following the tradition of the elders. And Jesus said, you're hypocrites. Your heart is far from me. In vain you worship God, teaching for doctrine the commandments of men. And then he points to a tradition that they had. It, it was a tradition that they called Corban. C-O-R-B-A-N. And the scripture said you should honor your father and mother. That means if you're better off than they are, if they have some need, you help them financially. But... The religious people established a tradition. I could be a wealthy businessman. And I don't want to give any money to my parents. So I go to the priest. And I say, everything I have, I dedicate to God. It belongs to God. It's now dedicated to God. Hallelujah. Yes. Amen. 
And then mom and dad say, you know, hey, we need some help. And you say, well, gee, I would love to help you. And you know, uh, it, you know, it looks like financially we could afford to do it, but everything we have has been dedicated to God. So I can't help you because it's not mine. It belongs to God. And the parents would say, oh, wonderful. Oh, how holy and how righteous you are. Jesus said, you cause them to violate the commandment of God because of your tradition. You make the word of God of no effect. Coming into the new, you've got to let go of some of the old. You can't move into your future holding on to your past. Your destiny outweighs your desire to get there. In fact, I'll say this. Until your misery factor outweighs your comfort factor, you'll never change. Until your misery factor outweighs your comfort factor, you'll never change. When you finally get sick and tired of being sick and tired, you stop being sick and tired. But for some reason, and this is all of us, you know, we don't change until we are so miserable that I don't care I'm going to change. And God says, finally. God says, finally. A, a, a poet, an English poet, George Bernard Shaw, made a statement one time. He said, the reasonable man asks the question, why, when confronted with something new? Because it's not reasonable, it's not rational, it's not logical. So the reasonable man says why and doesn't change. The unreasonable man says why not. So the reasonable man says why. It's not logical. It doesn't make sense. The unreasonable man says it's not logical. It doesn't make sense. But God said so why not. The reasonable man says because we've never done it that way. The unreasonable man says, so what? So that means that all progress is left up to the unreasonable man. Without the unreasonable man, there will be no progress. Because the reasonable man says, no, we're, we've never done it that way. Uh, they'll give you 15 reasons why it won't work. And then they, they sit there, like they told my wife and I, you know, um, in, in our early 50s, we're going to South Africa, and they're saying, you're nuts, you're crazy. Uh, you know, you're starting all over again, it looks like. So I remember we were standing in our garage, and we were, we were trying to have a garage sale, but instead we were giving, just about giving everything away. Because someone had lied to us and said, no, it's cheaper, you can buy all new furniture here in South Africa. That, that's not true, but anyway. Um, we believe a lot. So we're, we're, we're giving everything away. And my, my wife's standing in, in the garage with me, and she looks at me, and she says, Honey, just think at our age, God is an, entrusting, us, entrusting us with a brand new adventure in faith. I said, Hallelujah. I married the right woman. <laughs> Hallelujah. And it, it, it was. 
a brand new adventure of faith. And, 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 and we've watched what God has done. Um, is this helping anybody? You see, you're, some of you are at a place of frustration because God's wanting to take you deeper. God's wanting to mold you more into his image. God's wanting to change you, and God's wanting you to be among those that are pioneers in that which is new. And the greatest thing that holds you back is the old. My wife and I, we've been in ministry 48 years now. We're just kids, youngsters. And um, I think God's enabled us to go to about 47 countries or something, 48. And it, 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 it's been exciting to watch what, what God has done. But, but we, we were on staff at this one church, and, and um, we, we, we were helping them, and one thing led to another, and then they, they asked me to, to start up their home group. So I got the home groups going, the whole curriculum set up. It was going, they were, had a Bible school using my curriculum that I'd written. The home school is going. Someone else was in charge of the Bible school. Now all the home groups, just as we got it up and going, the pastor came in and said, good, this is wonderful. We're taking it away from you. We're giving it to somebody else. We had started a couple's ministry for the church. Um, and it, it produced so much. Most of the, the workers in the church came out of our couple's ministry. We took a, a couple's cruise with 90, for, what? 48 couples from the church. We had a great time. Wonderful. And, I mean, it is going. It was a highlight, man. Uh, these people are, are excited. Things are wonderful. Um, God gave my wife 10 lessons, a marriage maintenance thing that she put together. It, it's just wonderful. And we got it going, and it's flourishing. And that, here's a couple whose marriage had just recently been restored and got back with God, and wonderful, and they're in there. And, and I come back from a meeting, and the pastor said, uh, guess what? Um, you're no longer, you and your wife are no longer in charge of that. Uh, we're giving it to this other couple. Okay. We had a Wednesday morning prayer and healing school. And I was teaching the prayer and healing school every Wednesday morning. Wonderful, but, but, but I, I'm telling myself, it got to the place I could sit in my office and then half an hour before healing school, I'll just throw a message to the other, go over there, pray, and the power of God would be there. And, you know, but, but, you know, I, it was not what was in my heart. What was in my heart was the world. And I'd been on a trip overseas, I'd come back, and, and uh, uh, I had prayed. I said, God, look, you know, this isn't working. We're going to have to leave. Let me be here to the end of our conference this year when all my friends are coming in from overseas, and then uh, after that, we'll resign. And that's where I was. You know, we, we, you know, everything, now I'm praying, God, you know, I, I want to be changed. I, I want to move into that which you have for me, that which is in my heart. But I could not, I didn't realize, I couldn't move into the area I wanted to because I was holding on to so many things. And so I'm frustrated and I'm praying and so God's shifting so I can do what he's put in my heart and then because he's shifting, I'm complaining. Why are you taking this away? Why are you taking that away? Why are you taking the other thing away? But yet I'm saying, God, you know, I, I, I want to follow after you and, 
And so, I mean, we had decided that's it. You know, the misery factor had outweighed the fear factor. And I mean, that was it. You know, we didn't know where we we're going to go, what we we're going to do, this is what we we're going to do. And at that conference, uh, a friend of ours, uh, Ray McCauley, had come in to speak. And um, through a set of circumstances, we were supposed to have one major speaker who canceled on us. So the senior pastor said, hey, Ray McCauley is a friend of yours. See if he'll come in. So I called Ray. Ray said, sure, I'll come in, do the conference. And so he got there, and, and, and I'm ready. This is my last conference. I'm leaving. And, and, and Ray gets a hold of the senior pastor and said, what are you doing? Don't you realize who you have with you and what's in his heart? What God, what, and, and basically what, what God used Ray to do is tell the pastor, you know, God given you a heart for the world and he's given you Mike to be the one to reach the world for you. And here, I mean, I'm ready to go. You know, we're, we're, I, I'm preparing. I'm going to hand in my resignation. And after the conference, the pastor calls me in and says, look, you know, God's given you to me because of my, my call, my heart for the world. God's given you to me to be the one to go do it. And we're going to release you. You're still on staff, still on salary, but that, this is going to be your major portfolio. Hallelujah. And then I saw I could not have done that if I was still doing everything else that I used to do. Because if I tried to do that and do this, nothing would have worked. So God had begun to take away for the purpose of establishing. God doesn't take away from you for no purpose. He does it because he's trying to establish something new in your, in your heart. He's trying to establish something new in your heart. Again, back with Israel. So they're at the Red Sea. And they look back and they said, you know, the first thing they do is they turned on, on the pastor. They said, it's all your fault. They said, you brought us out of Egypt because there are not enough graves. So... God worked all these miracles to get you here, healed you, you know, uh, gave you the wealth of Egypt for the purpose of killing you in the wilderness because there are not enough graves in Egypt to bury you. That, that's how crazy people get when you go into something new. Uh, they said, this is the reason. And then they said, didn't we tell you Leave us alone. It's better for us that we serve the Egyptians than die here in the wilderness. And, sorry, that's not an option. You cried out. God delivered you. And so then God speaks to Moses, tell the people, don't be afraid. He stretches out his rod. The Red Sea parts. Now, the, the, the cloud that was over them went behind them so the Egyptians couldn't see what was going on. But the pillar of fire was there, it provided light, and the Red Sea parts, they go across on dry ground. And now they're on the other side, and then the, the cloud lifts and the fire lifts, and the Egyptians see them, and they pursue in, on the same dry ground. So they're on the other side, and God said, uh, Moses, stretch forth your rod. 
so you can close the sea, because if you don't, the enemy's going to get there. So Moses stretches forth his rod, and the Red Sea comes back together and kills all the, the hosts of the Egyptian army. The area, the avenue that God designs for your deliverance is your enemy's destruction. The avenue that God provides for your deliverance becomes the avenue of your enemy's destruction. What am I saying? I'm saying change is uncomfortable. It's necessary. While it's uncomfortable with us, we need to change. One last scripture that I want to leave you with. John chapter 16. John's Gospel, the 16th chapter and the 7th verse. Now, I want, is this helping anybody? I mean, I'm preaching myself happy. I'm, you know, I'm thrilled, but you know, you know, if you can't tell, hey, I'm sorry, but I'm preaching to me, and I'm happy with that, and, and uh, um, but in John 16, 7, Jesus makes a startling statement to his disciples. He's telling them that he's going to leave. And he said in John 16, verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Now, put yourself in the place of the disciples. They have had nothing but religion and tradition and law. No miracles. Jesus shows up. They follow Jesus. And for the next three and a half years, it's miracles, signs, wonders. Man, it, not only is Jesus doing it, but he commissions them and they go out and do it. They heal the sick, they raise the dead, they, they cast out devils, they cleanse the lepers. Man, this, this is wonderful. Ooh, it's never been like this. And Jesus said, man, it's great. He said, but let me tell you guys, there's something better that's coming. Wait a minute. How can it be better? Before you were here, none of this happened. You've been here, all this is happening. Now you're telling us that you're going to go away and it's going to be better. But, but the only thing, we, if we see you go away, our only thing is remembering what was like before you were here. You can't go away. He said, but if I don't go away, I can't send the comforter. I can't send the comforter to you. If I was one of them, I would say, that's okay. We don't need another comforter. The one we have is plenty. We don't need a different one. We don't need another one. You're going to send a comforter. You're here. Look, it's fine. What Jesus is saying, listen, I'm here, but I'm limited in time and space. I want to get to the place where I am unlimited by time and space. With me being here, if I go to Pastor Thad's house, it's wonderful. And Thad and Francis are rejoicing because Jesus is at their house. But 
Brother Jeff is saying, but what about me? You're not at my house. It, 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 it's great for them, but it, it doesn't help you. Jesus said, no, I'm limited in time and space. I want to be unlimited so I can be at, at Pastor Thad's house. I can be at Brother Jeff's house. I can be at, at, at Gilbert's house. I, I can be at every place at one time. Amen. It's going to be better, but the disciples couldn't understand. How can it be better? What do you mean it's more expedient? In Luke um, 22 verses uh, 30, 31 to 32, uh, Jesus is speaking to Peter and he said, uh, the, the devil's desire to, sift, to have you that I might sift you like wheat. That word sift is interesting. It means to, to break down. It means to pulverize. It means to separate. The devil wants to separate you, but Je Jesus said, the, the devil has come to sift you like wheat. But I prayed for you that your faith fail not. And he said, and one you're converted, and one you've come through on the other side, then go strengthen your brethren, because they're going to go through the same thing. What you're doing, you're stepping into the new, and, and it's not comfortable. But you're showing the way. And you, you'll come out successful. You come out on the other side. You're successful. And then you can strengthen others and say, no, this is the way, walk ye in it. There'll always be those that will follow. But there are not a whole lot of those that, who will lead. Because to lead, you pay a price. Jesus has paid the price but in leadership, you pay a price because you've got to see what others don't see. You've got to hear what others don't hear. You've got to lead them where others have not gone. And during that whole process, there'll be those that you're leading and showing that will be butting you all the way because they forgot their sheep and they think they're goats. But don't be discouraged. Be encouraged. Jesus said, you're going to be successful. You're going to come out on the other end. Finally, in my 15th closing this morning, in James chapter 1, James said, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, tests, and trials. One translation says, count it wholly joyful. Throw a party. Be cheerful. And we've misinterpreted that, and we've become tearful. He said, don't be tearful, be cheerful. But he said, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, tests, and trials, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. I can count it all joy because I know. If I don't know, then I can't count it all joy. But what do I know? I know it's a trying of my faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. I've heard the word of God. Faith has come. So the trial comes to steal the word out. The whole purpose of the trial is to steal the word from you. In other words, to keep you from acting on the word. He said, but... but 
Um, the trial of your faith worketh patience. Now, I've heard Pentecostal preachers said, well, don't pray for patience because if you're praying for patience, tribulation will come. It doesn't say that tribulation produces patience. It says tribulation works patience. That patience is already in your heart, Romans 5. It's already there. It's, it, it's a fruit that's within you. So tribulation, tests and trials give you the opportunity to work that. And that word patience just simply means a steadfast endurance upon the word of God. What that, that means is it, you put pressure against pressure. The enemy gives you pressure, and you put the pressure of the Word of God against the pressure that the enemy is putting against you, and that holds that pain off until patience has its perfect work, and you're perfect and entire, wanting nothing. I use the example when I, when I was a, 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 a young kid. My parents went out and got a babysitter. And my parents unsaved, you know, and my, my dad likes scotch. And so um, the, my parents gave the, the phone number where the, they, were, they could be reached if there's a problem. And I, I had a toothache. So the babysitter calls my mother and said, Mike has a toothache. What should I do? And so my mother said, take some scotch, pour it in a shot glass, take a cotton ball and give it to him. Now, what she meant was take the cotton ball, dip it in the scotch, and put the, put the, 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 the scotch-laden, you know, on, on his tooth and have him bite down. But the teenager was a teenager. She didn't know, so she poured scotch in a glass. And she said, here, your mother said, drink this. So I drank the shot of scotch, and then she gave me a dry cotton ball. She said, now put this in your mouth and bite down. It worked. I didn't feel anything whatsoever. <laughs> Hallelujah. What, and you could have done the same thing without anything. Just, just put something on there because the, the, the decay is, is pressure that's coming up. And so you bite down and you put equal and opposite pressure on that until you get to the dentist and get the, 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 the decay taken care of. So patience is that pressure against what the enemy is doing. The, 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 words, the, the enemy says, don't give, and the word says, give and it shall be given unto you. So you say, I'm not going to back off. I'm going to give. I'm going to plant seed. I'm going to give. I'm, you know. And the more you pressure me, the more I'm going to give. Until patience has its perfect work, and that pressure is left. The devil leaves you for a season. Not forever, but for a season. He did that with Jesus. He tempted him, didn't last, and so he left, left him for a season. What am I saying? I'm saying it's time for us to, to count it all joy, to not give up. You're in, you, you, some of you have been faced with all kinds of tests and trials, and what, what it's produced is fear instead of faith. What if? What if? What if? The what if is replaced by the word says. Amen. What if the word says. But what if the word says. But what if the word says. Amen. Replace fear with faith. And be patient. Stand upon the word. 
Cast not away your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. And then then Paul said, but we're not of those that draw back unto destruction, but we're of those that believe to the saving of our soul, taking control of our mind, our emotions, and our will. It's time for us to be able to move into the new. It's time for us to be able to move into the future. It's time for us to say, listen, God is doing something different. It's not new to God, it's new to us. But what it's doing to us is causing us to have to depend upon Him rather than depend upon us. And learn to depend upon people for their giftings. And allow them to flourish in their gifting and you flourish in yours. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And when you do that, you're comfortable. Say, boy, you know, uh, you're doing this, but that's great because I can't do that. That's not what God's assigned me to do. Remember what I said? I'm going to do only what God said do. I'm not going to do more than 